0: Bibles this morning, you can go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful, it is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God, everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great High Priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This High Priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same things we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. Well, this week I had a chance to visit some pastors on the Indianapolis district. If you're not familiar with the Church of Nazarene, we're comprised of districts, which is a bunch of local churches in a concentrated area. We make up the Kansas City district here, a group of Nazarene churches in Indiana, some of them make up the Indianapolis district. And I was able to be there with their pastors this week, and they asked me to come talk to them about engaging culture. Uh, What a huge and massive subject. I'm sure I wholly failed completely. But uh, along the way, I did find a definition of culture that I liked, and I wanted to share that with you today. Um, It's uh, well, the title of the sermon is Soup for the Soul. You'll get that in a minute. Uh, Carson, we're just going to have to write this one out together. I don't have any special notes for you, but uh, if you move that forward, you'll. F- there we go, right there. And I'm sure you can't read that because the font's not big enough. But Walt Mueller, who writes a book called Youth Culture 101, he defines culture. Well, let's just do this real quick. How would you define culture? Like soup, right? <laughs> yes, that's how Walt Mueller defines it. How would you define it? I know, right? Good luck. Yeah, this little talking indie was tough, man. Walt Mueller says culture's like a soup that we soak in every day. And Carson, the next slide, he goes to show the ingredients included in the soup that we soak in. So Walt Mueller says culture's like soup that we soak in, and what we're soaking in are values, attitudes, behaviors, media, peer groups, language, and so on and so forth. Certainly, that's not a comprehensive list. It's just some ideas that came to Walt's mind. I thought it would be fun. Now, just hold on here. We're talking about soup today, but I'm going to need your help to talk about soup. I want to hear back from you how you would define the things that Walt Mueller calls ingredients. So, what are some values of our culture? Uh, Money is a value. Self-reliance. What else? Surely, surely there's a non seminary student here that's got an answer? Work ethic. Uh, work, work ethic, yes. Yeah, work. And what'd you say, Ty? You didn't. <laughs> I'm just calling you out, is all that's happening. Yeah, money, self reliance, work ethic. Family, self preservation. Yes, Jeff. Yeah. How about some attitudes? What are some attitudes you see in our culture? Be careful now. Yeah, an attitude of, I had a hard time thinking of this myself, but independence is a good answer. Anybody else have an example of an attitude they think of that represents a culture? Entitlement, ooh, to my core, Tim. Sometimes I think I'm entitled, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do you type of thing, yes. And someone says something over here. Ego, yes, Joanna. Ego, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, let's, I'm just going to skip a couple because this is my my most fun category. What about media? What about media? If if your soup, all right, your culture is what you soak in. What media? Let, let's not do you yet. Let's not let, let's not go for, let's not let's not confess your sins too quick. Okay. What about our culture? What about our culture? What media would you say is in our culture's soup? Say it again. Fox News is in there, but so is CNN's in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what we're soaking in every day, yeah. YouTube. Yes, Grace, we need more people in Grace's age group to talk. That's how we learn what the next generation is going to be like. Yes, YouTube, Grace is in your soup for sure reality tv that includes the white house right yes 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 that's in our that's in our soup that's right hey. hi yes yeah. instagram and social media we'll just put them all in there but instagram is a big one yes twitter facebook okay all right how about how about how about language Now, you don't have to give me any examples, please. No one say the bad words, please. Uh, You don't have to give me any examples, but think about Walt Mueller's definition. If culture is what we soak in, and we've just defined a few things that you say make up American culture. So, if American culture is CNN and American culture is Fox News, what happens to our language? Does our language reflect the soup that we soak in? Anger, yes. Combative, how about anxious? Anybody in this room ever watch one of those news sites and get anxious right after it? Just me? Or Amanda's like, that's why I don't. So at one point you did, but yeah. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, slow. Their culture is kind of slow, and so then the language is kind of slow. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's good. Ah. So this is what I want to do today. Now listen, if you don't like this, you can just blame the youth pastor part of me. Okay, that's what I told the group in Indianapolis as well. If you don't like this, you can just blame it on me coming from a youth ministry background. But I want you to do a small breakout group right there where you're sitting. You don't have to change seats. Just I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want you to engage your neighbor. And I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do it. So uh, it, it would be good to enter into conversation. Hopefully, you like the person you're sitting by. And if you're, if you're in elementary school, welcome to, to, to uh, the sanctuary this morning. You also are invited to participate in this conversation. I want to know... If you were going to answer Walt Mueller's definition of culture, you can actually, uh, that's the question. What would be included in your cultural soup? So if you want to go back, Carson, I want to know not what America's values are. I want to know what your personal values are. I don't want to know what's in America's media soup. I want to know what's in yours. So what are you listening to when you fire up Spotify? I want to know what what are you soaking in, what makes up your culture Engage your neighbors. So we don't all feel guilty. I'm going to ask you what, if we were to fire up your Spotify account, okay? And if you don't do Spotify, that's, a, that's an app that plays any music that you want, okay? So if you don't do Spotify, then I'm asking if we were to turn on your radio in your car, Okay? What would we hear if we turned on your Spotify right now? We're all going to answer at the same time, so no one feels guilty. Okay, mine's Lady Gaga. Okay, <laughs> but you don't. But, but you don't. But you don't have to say it by yourself. Ready? One, two, three. Lady Gaga. Okay. Ah. So it can be somewhat convicting thinking about Walt, Walt Mueller's definition. This is what we soak in every day. I've been thinking about Hebrews chapter 4, especially the way in which it opens in verse 12. For the word of God is alive, and it is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, which cuts deep and then leaves everything exposed, naked. Does anyone, <laughs> Does anyone else think about Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden in which they participate in something that they know is non-faithful and suddenly they're aware of the great chasm and distance between them and God and it's as if they are naked. In fact, they are naked God comes down, says, where are you? We're hiding. And Adam says, we're naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Does anyone think of the back end of Mark in the resurrection story as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? The angry mob grabs for Jesus to arrest him. And one of the people that were there flees and runs from the garden, leaving everything behind. And then the face of Jesus is naked and exposed, running out of the garden. The Hebrews writer tells us from where God is seated, from where God is positioned, God sees all things, knows all things. That there is nothing that we can hide from God Think what happens in culture so often is what we do with our soups is that we compartmentalize them. And so if I were to ask you what your church soup was, you would probably have an answer. What's your favorite Christian song? What's your favorite Bible verse? What's your favorite thing to do at church? What's your favorite sports team? I just switched. Now I've went to your sports soup. What's your favorite jersey to wear? What's your favorite chant? Let's switch again. Let's go to school now. What's your favorite school outfit? What's your favorite thing to do at school? Yes, Joshua. Play around. That was my favorite thing to do at school. (laughs) It's how I got to to wear it. Never mind. All right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm afraid that we compartmentalize. And so what ends up happening is we have all these different ways of speaking. We have all these different ways of being and all these different ways of thinking. That's not, we don't live in one culture. We live in multiple cultures. Another way to think about this is through the definition of what we call secular. Someone far smarter than I came along and defined secular not as the antithesis to the sacred, but instead as multiple stories as opposed to just one that unites. Sacred might be defined in this way like this that the sacred unites us all and brings us all together. So, for instance, let's take Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That this story brings us together as one family. We might be tempted to think of secular as that which is antithetical to that. So maybe it's someone from culture who says that name in vain, and we'll say, oh, that's secular, that's antithetical to the story that unites. Well, the definition that I want to work off here of what might be secular is not that which is antithetical to the story of Jesus. I want to think of the definition of secular as not one story that unites, but all stories, any story, whatever story you want to make. If that story has meaning to you, then you can live by that story. It's like living in 7,000 different soup bowls. It's like living in 100 different cultures. The problem is we're so secular and we don't even recognize it. That will leave this place and will enter into a whole new culture where the culture that you're learning right now does not pertain to you at all. Does anybody feel like that on Monday morning? Does anybody feel like that on Sunday night when you got to go to work and you're leaving one culture and you're entering another and you're wondering what in the world did I do on Sunday morning that matters? Or perhaps you are. This is your last Sunday. Perhaps this is your last Sunday. You will not show up next week because you're just tired of this. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change anything. And, and you've been raised in the church, and today, for whatever reason, is the last day that you're ever going to step into church. I'm with you, sister. I'm with you, brother. I get it. Why are you tempted to feel that way? Probably because there's not one story that grounds. You're living in a thousand different stories. You're living in a million different cultures. How might this relate to Hebrews where the word of God cuts? with? It? Well, the context in which the Hebrews writer is writing is one in which the laws of our Lord are being discussed, particularly the laws of Sabbath. And the Hebrews writer is reminding his congregation, some believe that this, this letter, the letter of Hebrews, is actually a sermon. So we'll say it this way. The preacher reminds their congregation... That the laws of God, like the laws of Sabbath, are not meant for some sort of legalistic adherence. As if you just follow this, then righteousness will equal, or you will equal righteousness. No, instead the reminder here is that God, oh come on now. That God sees where you live and imagines a different way. That God knows the myriad of cultures in which you live in and God has one story that unites all of that and gives purpose and fulfillment to you. And in this way, it exposes us as the lusting machines we are for anything that will carry meaning. We are cut to the deep, and we are exposed, running to and fro to any story that might make our story worth something. So we add a thousand different stories. We add them all. We gravitate and grab them. Am I just, Derek, am I speaking gibberish here? I hope not. The word of God comes to us in this way that said, no, my story in the garden that you broke (laughs) That story is a story of all the fulfillment you would ever want. This is what cuts deep. I got to get to my notes here real quick. Oh, yeah. I'm also reminded of the rich young ruler. We might read that story, Bonnie, and we might think that this is about the commands and laws and that if the rich young ruler had just, so he'd known, like, how many laws were there in in the the Jewish religion, like 500 some, right? Or 613. I'm so glad there are people smarter than me in this room. (laughs) Yes, Derek? I read that story, Derek, and I think of it like this. If he had only known the 614th commandment, all right? The rich young ruler, if you're not familiar with that story, that's a story where someone comes to Jesus, young man comes to Jesus, and he says, I've done all the commands, and Jesus says, All but one. And I read that story and I think, oh man, I'm going to be the guy who knows 614 rules. And I'm going to do them all. (laughs) Is that really what Jesus is saying? Let's examine the story this way. So there's a young man who comes to the Lord. And he says, Jesus, examine my soup. You'll see I have 613 ways of following you. My culture is pure, and it is righteous. Look at it. I talk like you. I walk like you. (laughs) I have learned to think like you. All the things that I do, my soup looks just like you. (laughs) Jesus asked him a different question. Not the things that you have adapted to, not the things that you have adopted, not the things in which you have slaved over to become, but, son, what is your heart? Wherever Jesus sits is the same place that God sits. That's why they call him the high priest. As if he's our representative of all the things in heaven, and he takes all the things on earth and he represents them to heaven. He is our representative. He has the same view and the same perch as God. If you ever want to know what Jesus is like, Jesus is just like God. Jesus has always been like God. Jesus will always be like God. If you want to know what God is like, it's in reverse. God is always like Jesus. God will always be like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. And so wherever Jesus sits, it's in the same place as God, and he's overlooking, and he's seeing this rich young ruler. And though this rich young ruler can brag about the 613 things he obeys, he sees and cuts to the heart of this rich young ruler, and he knows what is lacking, and it is a heart that looks like the soup of God. We can wear all the clothes. We can speak all the language. But man, God has a way of looking into our heart and knowing what we're really soaking in every day. And I think that this is the conversation. I hope I'm not reading too much into this story. But I think that this is the conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Yeah, your behavior's great, but your heart is soaking in the wrong places. So well, the Hebrews writer goes on. To describe Jesus as the high priest. And in so doing, defines the characteristic of Jesus as the high priest as one in which lives like us and knows our temptations, save for one thing. I like to think, Kelsey, about this. That Jesus knows what it's like to have a work soup. <laughs> I hope this analogy is not throwing you off. To have a work soup and to have a church soup. Synagogue soup, I think, is what he would call it. To have a friend soup and to have a family soup. Sometimes those aren't one and the same things. Anybody in here not friends with their family, please don't raise your hand. You'd be sitting next to them. <laughs> no way, you're not supposed to raise your hand. <laughs> A friend soup, family soup, job soup, church soup, school soup, <laughs> sports soup. I think Jesus knew what it was like to live in that tension. In fact, Jesus was just like us. He was introduced into a secular story, he was introduced right into the middle of a, of a people that had been co opted by the Roman Empire. A foreign story, a different story, demanding that they participate in culture in, a, in their way. Jesus was thrust right into that. Jesus knows exactly what it is to be in a culture that is, doesn't know who they are, and so they buy any story that will promise prominence. Save for one thing. What was the one thing? Jesus never forgot who he was. The Hebrews writer says that he was tempted in every way like us, but he never sinned. I think he waded through all the same soup that we wade through, but he knew where his heart belonged all the time. I think sin can easily be defined by that which your heart is attached to. What is your heart soaking in? And unless it is the love and law of the Lord in all your mind, in all your heart, in all your soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself, then friend, your heart might be swimming in the wrong soup. If your language, if your language reflects anything other than, The love of our Lord in all our mind, in all our heart, in all our soul, and loving our neighbor as ourself, if there is any solution to any problem that does not come through that frame or filter, then your heart might be co-opted by CNN. Or Lady Gaga. (laughs) Oh, gosh, she has the greatest voice ever. (laughs) But if all I do is swim and soak in Lady Gaga, hmm, I might get to heaven and Jesus might say, how'd you do? And I might say, you should have seen that church I pastored. And he might say, yeah, but your heart looks like Gaga. (laughs) I can see what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. it might come across as black or white. Stop doing that. Do this. I think instead what I want to invite us to do, and Ben, if you're here, has Ben here? I think what I might want to do instead is not try to do the shame and guilt thing. Where are you wrong? Let's get right, you know. Where have you abided by the 613 rules? Now add the 614th. No, not like that. If I've come across in that way, please forgive me. I apologize. I've heard the word of the Lord. This week, reminding me how good and how true the law of our Lord is, and it has nothing to do with commandments or restrictions. It has everything to do with His way, His character, and His nature. And because Jesus sits as our high priest and because Jesus is that mediator, it is the perfect example of one that knows how to have a heart that is fixed. And Jesus having a heart that is fixed holds me to that possibility, connecting me to heaven so that my life might look like heaven and I can have a fixed heart because Jesus and the Spirit of God is the one that connects and so, friend, it's not about doing anything other than perhaps examining our hearts. Don't you want the language of Jesus? Don't you want to have the attitude of Jesus? Though he was with God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, and so his attitude was complete in utter self-emptiness. Don't you want to be emptied? So that God can fill all things. Not just a life that looks like church, but a heart that looks like Jesus. I'll trade in a life of church all day for that. But the only way that that comes for your pastor, at least, and I don't think I'm alone. I think this is good pastoral advice. The only way that that comes to me is if I examine the soup I'm living in. This is called, I guess, confession confession. But we don't use that word in evangelical churches, so I'll relax. I want to invite you this morning, in a moment of reflection while Ben plays for us, just for a couple of minutes, I want to invite you to come to the altar to examine what soup are you soaking in? <laughs> and where might you be like the rich young ruler this morning that did things differently? And instead of walking away knowing that you've been exposed for who you are, you instead turned to Jesus and said, okay, Lord, help me. <laughs> I believe. Help my unbelief. You've exposed me, and you are right, but now, Lord, help me. Church. I just invite the Lord Jesus to come amongst New Beginnings Church and begin to sanctify our hearts as a body and as families and as individuals. I just invite the Lord Jesus to come and make this place his place. For the Father to sit here and direct and coordinate and order the way that heaven wants it done. I just invite the Lord and His Holy Spirit to come and wreck us and move us to be people that are truly living in Him. Our hearts completely yielded. And sometimes we just have to confess the soups we're living in. And So friends, if you're needing a place to pray this morning, I just invite you to come to the altar and let us pray.